The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back. Today we have a guest joining us who I consider is the most important expert on improving sensation in our feet, which can actually help improve walking and general mobility as well. So I normally focus on improving mobility through exercises and neuroplasticity, but Dr. Emily Splickle uses it through sensation. So welcome to our show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course. Dr. Emily Splickle is a functional podiatrist and human movement specialist. She is the founder of EBFA Global, creator of the Barefoot Training Specialist Certification, author of Barefoot Strong, and CEO and founder of Naboso Technology. With over 20 years in the fitness industry, Dr. Splickle has dedicated her medical career towards studying postural alignment and human movement as it relates to barefoot science, foot to core integration and sensory integration. I have talked to you several times over the last few months, sometimes just one-on-one. You also joined our Missing Link members as our guest speaker. And every time I talk to you, I learn so much information. So I'm really excited to have you here on our podcast platform now. Excellent, thanks. And I just got to say too, um, I think it was maybe a month or so ago, Dr. Emily was our guest speaker for The Missing Link. And I received so much feedback on how they just loved your talk with us because you gave us so many, not only tangible things that they can do to improve their movement, but also the science behind it. And I tend to geek out over the science. I'm the type of person that needs to know the why behind something. I'm not just going to do it if I don't understand. So um, before we get into picking your brain, I am going to ask you something that I've been asking a lot of my guests, which is a random question from my interview deck. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right, I'm shuffling the cards over here. So your question is, if you were in charge, what three items would you have in the office vending machine? Ooh, that's fun. Um, Okay, so in the vending machine, I would have um, sparkling water, because I'm obsessed with that right now. a some sort of fruit pick a fruit I would have some sort of fruit and then um oh my gosh uh something caffeinated <laughs> sorry I love that these are really hard questions I like I them because it gives us an inside look as to oh sorry for the dogs <laughs> 
I love these questions because they give us an inside look as to what your personal life is like and if we have anything in common, but they're really hard to answer. Yeah. And clearly I drink sparkling water, lots of coffee and fruit. <laughs> like that is literally <laughs> that what I have like in the office. A great combination. <laughs> I know. All right. So let's start off pretty broad here. So some of our listeners may have no idea how sensation plays a role in our mobility, whether that means walking or transfers. So what can you share with us in basic terms that we can all understand on why and how sensation in our feet is important? Yes. So Oftentimes what I, what I will say when I am introducing the power of the feet to individuals, whether it's a patient, it's a customer, or it's another professional, is I like to think of the foot as our body's foundation. It's not just the body's foundation, though, mechanically, where most people think of feet and they think about arches, arch height, foot type. Am I pronated? Am I supinated? Do I have a high arch, flat feet? All of that. Those are very mechanical associations with the feet, um, which is good. That's important. It's necessary. But there's this whole other side, which is the sensory side. This is the skin in the bottom of the feet. This is how the skin influences the fascia, which is the connective tissue of our body and through our foot. And really it is the sensory stimulation that shapes the mechanical responses. Um, so you can think of a sequence of events that has to happen. And the first step is really sensory. So it's the perception. Do you feel the ground? Do you feel your weight distribution? Do you feel or perceive the impact forces? And then based off of that perception or sensation, you then use it to, again, shape these mechanical processes. Um, so I will often say that the foot is so important because it's the only contact point between the body and the ground, but it's really the skin in the bottom of the feet that is the contact point with the ground, not just the whole foot as a structure, but it's, it's the skin in the bottom of the feet. And that activation leads to a entire sequence of events that many of us take for granted. Yeah. And I can totally see how that relates as a PT. One thing that I educate on a lot is putting your heel down first. A lot of people with MS have ankle weakness leading to a foot drop or foot slap. And so we educate on bending the knee more, lifting the hip, putting the heel down first. Don't let that toe slap. But that is so much harder if you don't even know that that's happening. So many people that I work with have this hypo sensitivity, meaning, you know, they can't feel their feet as much. So I tell them to put their heel down first and they'll say, oh, I thought I was, unless they look down and see, they didn't even really know what their ankle or heel, foot, toe, anything was doing. So sensation plays a huge role. What is something that we can do to start to feel our feet a bit more and get all this to start working in unison? Yeah. So part of the reason why people are disconnected from the perception of their feet or are they placing their heel down? They're actually not aware of those movement patterns. Part of it is if you've never 
if you've never had that level of awareness, um, I'll use kind of athletics as an example. So certain sports or athletic movements like dance, I consider a sport, um, dance, gymnastics, things like that, where there's a, a deep appreciation for the foot in a barefoot environment, there's this different level of appreciation and um, mind foot connection that maybe someone who always did a cleated sport, basketball, soccer, wouldn't necessarily have the same level. Or if someone, you know, didn't play a sport or it's been many years of a sport, um, you can kind of lose or have not established that primary level of appreciation. So that's part of it is I'd like to know someone's history is, you know, even if you're 60, when you were growing up, were you a gymnast? Like there's muscle memory. And I, I really truly believe in muscle memory and mind body memory and things like that. Um, so it's a part, part of it that I look at. Second part has to do with our footwear. So the more cushion that you have in a shoe, the more sensory disconnect you're creating. So if you take like a Hoka as an example, which if the listeners are familiar with Hoka, it's a very high stacked ultra marathon shoe that has become more mainstream. So people will wear it just shopping and things like that. It's very trendy to wear hokas, but the stack and all the cushion is actually creating a disconnect between the nervous system, the bottom of the feet, the ground, that's altering perception. Another aspect that can create a disconnect is injury or disease. Right. So that could be a neuropathy, MS, um, movement disorders, strokes. So things like that can create that as well. So um, I like to, again, look at what's their baseline, what's their history of foot awareness, foot kinesthetic awareness. What is the role of footwear that they're using? And is that contributing to a sensory disconnect? And then what is the disease or medical condition that could be contributing to that as well. And many, 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 many people are sensory disconnected from their feet or what I would say are tuned out. So people tune out certain things because the brain can only process so much at once, right? And if I'm going to focus on something else versus the way my body posturally is sitting or I'm holding myself, that I'm essentially tuning out my posture and I've put it onto the back burner as far as priority, but then the impact of putting posture on the back burner is now I have low back pain, I have neck pain, I have, you know, I fall. So there's lots of things that happen from a lack of awareness of posture and um, kinesthetic awareness. I love just hearing you talk out different things that you look at during an evaluation, because you're right, so many things play a role in sensation and mobility in general. So it is important, especially muscle memory and motor memory. So it is important what they used to do in the past. Can you explain a bit about the skin on your, our feet and our hands? You've explained this to me before, and I thought it was so fascinating that that's different skin. And also um, you've explained how different sensations on our feet is similar to Braille for our hands. Can you go into that? Absolutely. So the skin on the palm of our hands and the bottom of the feet is 
different than let's say the, the arm or the leg and it's actually called glabrous skin. So glabrous skin, and this is called hairy skin. Um, obviously there's some differences that people can appreciate where sweat glands are. So sweat glands are on glabrous skin, not on hairy skin in the same um, concentration. You can't tan glabrous skins. There's not melanocytes to tan in the same way. Um, so different things like that, as far as some of their baseline properties. And then the nerves that are found on glabrous skin are different than hairy skin because this is touch. This is all of your um, touch tactile manipulation is between the hands and the feet. And uh, another name for that is haptic. So they're haptic nerves, they're tactile, they're mechanoceptive. Mechanoceptive is, is a type of nerve that responds to mechanical stimulation. Um, is what its definition is. Now, the nerves in the hands and the feet, there's four main nerves that you find there, mechanoceptors. Um, and those nerves are sensitive to three primary stimulation. And some of those nerves that we find on the hands and feet are what's called slow adapting. And I will often say that the best example, I'm going to hold my sparkling water. <laughs> <laughs> is that as I'm holding this and I'm talking to you, I'm somehow not dropping this. To me, this is fascinating. People think I'm crazy because I'm so fascinated by it, that I'm able to have a conversation with you and I'm thinking about what I'm talking to you about, but I'm not thinking about holding this in my hand. In the back side of things, there's this constant evaluation and conversation with the nervous system of how much pressure to hold the, the can so that it doesn't slip out of my hands. That's a mechanoceptive response by a type of nerve that is slow adapting, which means it's constantly reading the environment. An example in our feet would be when we stand in one place, which is called quiet stance. And if I just stand like a soldier or whatnot, and I'm standing there, that quiet stance the nerves in my feet have to constantly be reading the environment so I don't fall over. Otherwise I would tip over in gravity because we sway because of our breath. So every time you inhale and you exhale, your body actually sways. So you want to have sway. You don't wanna to have too much sway because that contributes to falls. It's a predictor of falls. Now, part of how you control the sway with your breath and with gravity is through these nerves in your feet, like the same ones that are holding the can. Slow adapting. You have another type of nerve that is fast adapting and it responds to a stimulation and then it shuts off. So the best example of that would be when I'm walking. So every step that I take, the step, I experience impact forces, which is technically vibration. And the vibration stimulates this type of nerve that's fast. It senses it and then it shuts off. So to keep it stimulated, I have to keep moving, okay? Um, now the different stimuli that those nerves are sensitive to, the slow adapting, there's two nerves, the slow adapting are sensitive to texture and then to skin stretch, okay? The fast adapting over here is vibration. That's impact forces, right? Ground reaction forces, your foot strikes the ground, vibration, that's over here. The slow adapting ones are the ones that are really um, intriguing 
because of how it controls static stance. So standing in one place, right? Balance, static balance. Um, texture is really two-point discrimination. And this is where your Braille is going to come in. So two-point discrimination, um, I have a, I'll show you our sensory stick. So you can see the different points, the different pyramids that are creating two points. And if you have two stimuli near each other, that discrimination or the differentiation of the two points is what is activating the brain. Um, that's texture is really that. Another analogy is Braille. So Braille, if you, the next time you go to an ATM, because that's typically where people see Braille nowadays is on ATMs. So look at the ATM and you'll see that the distance between the dots and the height of the dots is very specific. And the specificity of those dots is very unique to that nerve, which is the same nerve that we stimulate in Naboso products. So two-point discrimination. Um, skin stretch, you see when you do different tapings, you could tape the foot, kinesiology tape. Um, if you're on certain tacky surfaces, you get skin stretch, and then the fast adapting um, are vibrations. So those are the three main stimulation or stimuli that the foot is sensitive to. And then I like patients or people to understand the difference between slow and fast and how you use these in the real world. So your, and for anyone who doesn't know, I will put this link in the show notes, but Dr. Spiegel has a ton of amazing products to get these nerves stimulated. But I'm interested in the fact that these products help many different people. So of course I'm an MS specialist. So I love your products to help the MS community with walking, but they're also great for runners and for anyone who is active. Even I've seen people practicing yoga using some of your products. So based on the diagnosis, are you working towards a different stimuli or is it typical for the same stimuli to be provoked regardless of diagnosis? Yeah. So for the most part, a majority of people respond positively to mechanoceptive stimulation um, because of the need for everyone to feel their feet. And where I, as a podiatrist, see people who have lost that connection to their feet would be someone who would get plantar fasciitis or a stress fracture or shin splints. So they're, they're telling me through their injuries that they have a slowed or delayed perception of the ground. And one of the most important things that I'd like to also have patients and individuals understand is that the way that your body controls movement is based off of timing of information, right? So processing, same thing, right? So with uh, a lot of listeners could probably conceptualize that with anything, that it has to do with how quickly I can perceive something and then I have to process it and coordinate a response. That all, all that is essentially saying is timing. Everything is about timing. If I work with a professional athlete or I work with someone with MS and I'm trying to reduce a fall is I try to improve 
the timing of their body's processing of sensory stimulation. So if you cannot feel your feet or feel the stimulation fast enough, the whole rest of the movement pattern is thrown off. I don't even have, I don't have to do squats and lunges and like any of these other things because it doesn't matter because the limiting factor is how quickly you can perceive the stimulation coming in. Um, so that that's really how I like to look at things. If you can perceive it, well, now I have to train fast, coordinated stability patterns in your body. Um, and I'm probably going on a total tangent, so I apologize. But your feet are really connected to how your body controls its center of mass. So I call that foot to core stability, which the trigger to foot to core stability is the perception of the ground and the stimulation coming in from it. Then I can stabilize your center of mass. Then I can move force through your center of mass. So it's kind of this sequence of things, but first, first, first level is I need you to perceive the stimulation coming in through your feet and, your and the ground. Whether you're an athlete, you're a child, you're totally healthy adult that just happens to stand on their feet eight hours a day for their job, or you have someone with MS. It's, it's all essentially the same thing that everyone needs to feel their feet quickly. Is, is really what so I would say. I think the big question of the day then is how do we do that? How do we get our feet to sense that timing uh, so that we can feel it quickly and therefore respond? Yeah. Some of the best tips that I give people to start to just tune into their feet and make their feet fast is you have to get out of shoes. Um, doesn't mean walk outside in bare feet, like without shoes, right? I'm not anti-shoe, but I'm um, wanting you to get sensory stimulation throughout your day. So if you are home, could you walk around your home barefoot? Could you walk outside in the backyard or, you know, take the dog out or whatever? So you're, you're kind of getting some sort of stimulation through the skin in the bottom of the feet. That's part of it. Um, when you do choose your shoes, choose those that have less structure and cushion and stack to them so you can feel through all of that. Uh, release your feet, so roll them on a lacrosse ball or a narrow ball if you want. So releasing the feet, um, just doing massage to the feet helps you connect to the foot and the muscles. So I'm a, a huge advocate of actually releasing the feet. And then that's all of the Naboso products. So, you know, if you have to be in shoes, well, you know, put some insoles in there so you can feel the texture, um, make them more minimal, put in the Naboso insoles, release your feet every day, make sure you're walking around barefoot to get sensory stimulation from the hardwood floor and the backyard grass and just bring in that, that stimulation. Um, then the next layer would be to actually strengthen the foot, to do foot exercises, to do foot to core exercises. That's typically my second phase with patients is first phase is establish this appreciation of barefoot, naboso, releasing feet, minimal shoes. Usually I do that over four weeks. And then the second four weeks, I'm then having them start to strengthen the feet, find their pelvic floor, find their breath, 
um, find short foot, which is kind of the, the foot activation exercise. And then they do that consistently for four weeks. And then we essentially just progress the intensity or the duration each, each successive period. Um, but the reason why I start very kind of slow and with just getting out of the shoes, releasing the feet is because I try, I look at these things as a lifestyle. Um, I often use that the hashtag or the, the words barefoot strong. Um, to me, barefoot strong means you appreciate your feet from both a sensory and mechanical perspective, and you're doing something on a regular basis to recover and strengthen your feet. So it's just an appreciation of our foot as a structure. To be barefoot strong is a lifestyle, which means I need you to create a habit, just like you brush your teeth, I need you to release your feet every day. I need you to make smart choices that will affect your feet and your movement health and your movement longevity based off of this slow progression of um, habits that I want you to take on. Got it. So feeling first, so that sensation first, then moving on to strengthening and releasing and focusing on the muscles. I like it. That seems simple enough. What about someone who has, because I hear this a lot, cold feet or hot feet, and it might not be just the foot, maybe it's the calf and maybe it's just one side and not the other, but why is it that there's that sensation of hot or cold for no apparent reason, the rest of their body might be totally fine. Yeah. So some of those are, you know, they're showing some of the, um, disruption to the peripheral, potentially autonomic nervous system that I'll often explain to the patient that the nervous system, especially autonomic wise, is kind of like a, like a circuit board or the hard drive of a computer. And sometimes you get like a little flicker or it kind of delays or it's like loud and it's just kind of like doing these things. So it's just a little bit of a, um, I mean, it's a computer. Our nervous system is a computer right, is how it's the most sophisticated computer that is out there. But if you just get a little bit of a kink or a little bit of a pause, it sends this signal. So I'm a huge advocate on peripheral, autonomic, and central nervous system health, starting at a very early age, so that as you get older or you go through these different experiences, or you might be diagnosed with MS or Parkinson's or something, that you understand the nervous system and the way to kind of keep it calmer or at bay. The nervous system is very sensitive to stress. So um, even just anxiety can cause buzzing in the nervous system. It's, it's very symbiotic to our emotional state and it's very sensitive to it. Um, so trying to keep stress down, I consider stress to be acidity in the body and the nervous system is also very sensitive to acidic environments or inflammatory environments, which is why you'll often see, um, or I will see triggers in neuropathy symptoms or neuritis when someone gets very anxious, they kind of get thrown into a sympathetic response or if their diet gets triggered or they get a slight uptick in inflammation, whether it's autoimmune driven inflammation. So those are some of the, the big triggers 
that could be causing some of these altered temperature perceptions where the rest of the body is um, not responding that same way. Gotcha. And is that something that would also explain redness? So maybe it's not hot or cold, but redness in, in one or both feet? That's autonomic. Yeah. So that would be autonomic. And that's where, um, if any of the listeners have heard of um, like RSD, it's like a regional pain syndrome or reflex sympathetic disorders. So those are autonomic and those are typically after an injury, but you can see some of them um, autoimmune associated. And it's essentially just a dysregulation of the sympathetic nervous system, which is part of the autonomic nervous system. And sometimes one of the ways that you can treat them or that textbook way to treat it is you essentially do a nerve block and I'll explain to a patient that it's kind of like switching the breaker. So you're turning it off and turning it back on in a sense that by doing that, will things then kind of get back into the rhythm, almost like a hard reset on your computer, right? You just hold it down and it shuts down and it restarts. Sometimes that will help some of these um, slight irregularities calm down. Gotcha. Yeah. Like the control alt delete. I used to have to do that all the time. <laughs> Just shut everything down. <laughs> yes, exactly. Awesome. Okay. So I have one last question for you today, and I'm definitely going to be having you back on our show because I want to give you an opportunity to educate all of our listeners on all the different products that you have, because it goes right in line with everything that we're talking about today. My final question for you is what is sensory stacking? I love sensory stacking. Um, so the way that I also look at sensory stimulation is actually, let, let me go back one. So when I look at movement patterns, I give patients or rehab exercises, let's say my mind is always thinking, how can I help the nervous system win? Right. So I would never put a patient who has neuropathy and maybe decreased vision on a unstable surface and then have them count backwards from a hundred and multiples of three. Right. So I, I'm not like throwing all these things at them because that sort of challenge to their nervous system, they don't have the resources to optimize that sort of challenge. Um, and that's actually called sensory conflict training. So you're creating this um, conflicted or challenged environment, and then telling the nervous system, figure it out, create a strategy to stay on that unstable surface. I don't care what you do, figure out some strategy, right? Now, I typically am not, that's not my first way to train someone, because if they don't have the proper strategy to create or maintain their stability, you could put them at risk of getting hurt. So instead, I would rather put them on a stable surface, think of all of the sensory input systems, and then upregulate them, stack them to really turn up the noise of sensory stimulation to the nervous system so that they can maintain the balance the most effectively through all of the sensory input. An example would be barefoot on a hardwood floor with a naboso mat. So I just stacked, right? Several things through the foot. I'm then going to um, tape the ankle. So I'm going to get another stimulus through the ankle. So I just stacked 
technically your proprioceptive with your mechanoceptive. I'm going to have you hold something in your hand. So I'll have you hold the neural ball or a hypersphere that vibrates. So something to stimulate these nerves as well. I stacked it. Maybe I'll have them wear compression apparel. That compression apparel stimulates the proprioceptive system. Stack that. I'm going to have good lighting. Maybe I'll have them looking in a mirror so they have the visual input. And then they're going to be looking also at the hand with the stimulation. And then I'll bring in noise, sound, something like that. Um, that stacked environment is actually upregulating the brain higher than if you were um, to just turn the volume up to one area. Um, let me let me give an example is with with vitamins. If you take vitamin K2 with D3, <laughs> you actually get a increased efficacy of those supplements. Or if you you're technically supposed to take vitamin C with E and you get a higher efficacy of the vitamins, right? So I don't know if the listeners knew that, but technically if you take two vitamins that are really synergistic at the same time, you get a bigger benefit from them. That's called stacking, okay? Same thing with sensory stimulation. If I just stimulated the feet, that's great. But if I say, well, then I'm gonna throw naboso and hardwood and vibration, and I just keep throwing all these things in one area, just saturating one area, doesn't mean you're gonna have a higher regulation or upregulation in the brain. Bringing in the hands with the feet, mm-hmm. You just stacked it. You're going to get higher activation. Looking at your hand, holding the texture with your foot stimulation gets the brain activated more. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And I, I think that's so fascinating. And I think it'll be important too, for anyone who is nervous about that. Like if anyone listening feels like, oh my gosh, that sounds so hard. Like I can hardly do two things at once, let alone four or five things to start with maybe just one or two, do you have a, I can't remember if you mentioned this just then, but do you always start with the same one or two? Like, do you stack two things first before adding on another area? And if so, which, like, is it the visual? Is it the audio? How do you determine that? Yeah. So probably the easiest, and I know it sounds like a lot because I'm just like, oh, and then do this and then do this and then do this. So please do not feel daunting by this or daunted, um, where if I had you, so let's say you're doing a balance exercise where you're going to stand on one leg. Let's just say that, right? And if I ask you to hold something like the sensory stick in your hand and you're, you're standing on one leg and you're holding these down by your side, nothing else, like that shouldn't change anything in your mental capacity to try to balance on one leg. It's technically helping you, but it, it's not like I'm having you do calculus and spelling and geography all at once, right? I'm just having you stand on one leg and then I'm just having you hold this. I'm, you're not moving. You're not doing bicep curls or anything like that, right? Just hold the weight and then you're going to stand on one leg and I'm going to have you take your shoes off. That's it right? So that's how I'm introducing it. And then as you stand on one leg, holding the sensory sticks and your bare foot on the floor, you're just going to do this in front of a mirror and that's it, right? So 
we probably are doing these things anyway. You're just not bringing this consciousness to the fact that you're doing it. To me, a hand, a hand that's not doing anything or being stimulated in a rehab exercise is this completely missed golden opportunity to access someone's nervous system, right? And if you don't have the sensory sticks or anything to hold, just make a fist, right? Just making a fist and squeezing a fist is creating tension in your body, in your fascia, which stimulates the nerves, right? And, and it's, that's that's the sensory stacking side that I look at it and where I say I want the nervous system to win. So when I when I speak to professionals or I've consulted with other people coming up with programs and they do a fall reduction program and they don't mention anything about shoes versus barefoot, they've just missed this huge opportunity to access the nervous system, right? So um, please don't feel daunted by what I'm saying, right? Just think of it as you doing this anyway. And it's just, you know, simple steps. And um, yeah, I hope that that clarifies. And that's why I try to make all of Naboso products just seamlessly integrate into what you're already doing, right? All I want you to do is hold this in your hand. That's it. That shouldn't change anything else outside of improving your nervous system. Right. So, oh my gosh, I literally am taking notes over here just to remember all these tidbits. So thank you so much for sharing all these insights. How can people find, and in the next episode, when I have you back, I want to get into all the products. So if anyone is interested in learning more about it, tune back in. Um, but where can they find some of these products you mentioned already, the insoles, the mat, the, the stick, and where can they also find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. So the website for all the Naboso products is naboso.com. That's N-A-B-O-S-O.com. That's all of the products are also on Amazon. So you can absolutely do that. Um, and then use DR Gretchen as a code that will get you 20% off. So make sure you enter that. Um, and then uh, for me and my medical practice is just my name. So um, DR Emily Splickle. If you know how to spell the last name, <laughs> you can get there. Um, and then I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. I do a lot of um, education. So I have a book, I have a blog, um, a lot of content that's on the internet to help people uh, really understand their feet and take ownership of their movement health. Um, even though I'm a podiatrist, I really treat movement, not just feet. And, and people can see that within my work. Thank you so much. And just to let our listeners know as well, you can use that code to get 20% off and I don't receive any kickbacks. This is truly just a product that one of my clients with MS came across and told me, and then I met Dr. Splickle and just fell in love. So I don't get any kickbacks. It's just something that I wanted you guys to learn about and hear the science behind it. So thank you so much again for being here. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. 
If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.